Uh, for those of us that, uh, that remain in the room, we're going to uh, uh, dive into God's Word in uh, the letter to the church of uh, the Ephesians, uh, chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through the end of, uh, excuse me, 11 through the end of the chapter. If you have your Bibles, I do encourage you to, to take them out to, uh, uh, to, to read along with me. We will be spending some time together walking through uh, a portion of these verses. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 11. Therefore, remember... That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have both, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Together we, the people of God, give thanks to our Father Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to be able to receive a word directly from from you this morning through your scriptures. Lord, I pray that as we gather around your word, you would make yourself known to us, that you would open our eyes, that we could see our ears, that we would hear our minds, that we would come to know and understand your word, and indeed your ultimate will, open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I pray, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the, the, the song that we just sang, Cornerstone, and I believe that that song was directly based on this Ephesians 2 passage. There are other portions of Scripture, other parts of Scripture that refer to Jesus as the cornerstone, but, but the reason why I believe that it's related to Ephesians 2 most specifically is because of the opening line, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, that, that, that hope that, that endures and is presented to us first 
through Jesus is exactly the foundation of this Ephesians 2 passage. And, and we've worked together through parts of this Ephesians 2 passage uh, in, in years past, in sermons past. But today, specifically, the Spirit of God is calling forth uh, a word of hope for his people. And that seems appropriate in this particular season because it's both necessary and we each are experiencing uh, different glimmers of that hope in the fall. The fall is an interesting time, isn't it? Uh, you have a, a new school year for those that have kids in school or those that uh, are in school. And so there's a, a sense of hope and opportunity there. Uh, we also uh, have, have uh, the, the grand gift of football in the fall. And at, a, at, a, at 10.59 a.m. yesterday, almost every team in the country had a little bit of hope. Now, today, if you are a fan of Clemson or LSU, you have lost said hope, and that's okay, but at 1059 yesterday, we each had that hope. Football season brings a sense of hope, even sometimes when it's foolish. Uh, yesterday evening was my fantasy football draft. At the end of the fantasy football draft, I looked at my team and said, of course, I am going to win it all this year. Now, that's not hope, that's fact, that, but... but no, no, uh, more times than not, it's been proven as, as false hope. But then even uh, we, we have certain traditions uh, that, that go on at the fantasy draft. Uh, anyone who's kind of uh, local and available gathers at my house. I make my queso. We order wings. We turn on football, college football on the, uh, on the TV, and we just really enjoy time fellowshipping together. Uh, we've been in the same league for 16, 17 years now, and every single season at the draft, someone in the room says, how about them Cowboys? What do you think about the year? And I turn and I look and I say, we're winning it all, baby. This is going to be great. Super Bowl bound, here we come. And that day, that moment is filled with hope. Now, now. I need to pause for a second and say that hope that we have at this time of year, whether it be for school years or for football seasons, is a glimmer of what true hope is like. It, it, it's just a, a foretaste, but it's not the real thing. Like true hope is, is lasting, not bound by condition or temporary matters of position. It, it, you, you, you know with confidence uh, that the eventual outcome has already been determined. And with, with, with these matters of the fall, we know that so much ebb and flow and there's just nothing guaranteed. But what Paul is pointing us to in Ephesians, is the guarantee of all guarantee, the cornerstone of our faith, the basis of our hope. 
And I want to dig into that uh, a little bit, verse by verse, from verse 11 through verse 18, so that, that we could see how this is built and how essential it is that we tap in to that gospel narrative of hope, uh, not only for ourselves, but for the world that is at need for hope now more than ever, I believe. In verse 11, it begins, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those call, who call themselves the circumcision. So, so first he's addressing a particular audience. He's naming that he is focusing the attention of this teaching on the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. And he's naming that, that there, there has been this division between the circumcised, the Jewish population, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. And when he, whenever he brings forth this division, uh, it would be clear how hostile they were to one another and how divided they were from one another. And he wants you to remember that. He doesn't just want you to sit where you are today as converted and as faithful, but he wants you to recall your former reality Gentile and Jew, those that were a part of the covenant of God's promises and those that were outside of it. And then he notes that, that, that this division, this division is something that actually takes place by human hand. He's trying to acknowledge that, that this, this human circumcision uh, it is not a lasting division. But this division can be, will be torn down if we would just follow through and understand the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, it continues on. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant promises. These are dividing walls that strictly separate Jews from Gentiles. And even if a Gentile wanted uh, to, 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 to receive those covenant promises, they couldn't outside of the law. They, they had to become something else in order to come through the back door. And even then, there was a hostility that was born between people, Jews and Gentiles. And God's promises are, are, are filled with, with good news of who we are in relationship to God and how God pursues us and how God provides for us and how God cares for us. And, and in those promises, there's great desire for those that are on the outside to experience it, and yet they can't. They are separate, other, divided. Paul's raising up the Reality for these people that you were not welcome. You were outside. You were far off. You were other. And so then Paul continues to, to, to name that. He says that you were, at the end of verse 12, you were without hope and without God in the world. Before Christ, before anything happened to tear down these divisions, when the divisions were still in place, 
you are without hope, without God in the world. We've seen what hopelessness looks like. It's a state of despair that is so deeply focused on, uh, on the here and now that it cannot point to any opportunity of the future. And that resonated for the, for the Roman Gentile audience that was receiving this message. Those, those Roman Gentiles uh, hear this and say, yeah, I know what that looks like. I know what hopelessness looks like. That's where I live. I live under the thumb of oppression. I live with injustice rampant. I live in a social strata where, where where most of the people are so deeply impoverished where all I try to focus on is survival. Here and now, today. And sometimes we fall into that tendency as well, that, that, that survival mentality. Can I just make it through the moment? Can I just make it through the day with no, uh, no vision of what can be or will be, just struggling through the slog and the mire of the moment? And, and in that space, you could be so torn down with, with your hopelessness that then you lead to, uh, to, to selfish desires of temporal satisfaction that have no provision that will last. And that was the Roman world. Survival and selfish satisfaction that was totally individual. How can you, without hope, aim towards salvation, which is uh, eternity, Living in the eternal goodness of God now and living in eternity after death? Or how can you live in hopelessness to serve others? Why would you even dare because nothing actually matters if you are hopeless? And so you have this this. Uh, this dualistic vision of what could be either continuing hopelessness, striving to survive, and wondering what is more than just caring for myself the best I can versus serving others and experiencing the saving grace that we have. And Paul writes, he says, look, this this hopeless state, you know what that looks like. Uh, in verse 13, it turns the corner. It says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the process. This is the means through which we've been brought near. And, and so I want you to know that, that, that Paul is writing that the gap that, that, that uh, exists in distance between us and God is not bridged by our own doing, but God himself through the blood of Jesus Christ has, been, has brought us near, so near that if we would just pause and, 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 and conceive of it, God is literally wrapping his arms of comfort and mercy around us to experience his pure hope. And all we have to do is embrace and receive that gift that's already Available. We have to accept our acceptance. What potency is that image for you? That God has drawn us near. 
that we have been far off, but we've been brought near. And he continues on, he says, for, for he himself, that is Jesus, Jesus is our peace. Okay, he's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You, you see, this, this dividing wall that's been built up between us, between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, those on the inside and those on the outside, uh, those, those who have it and those who are held other, they've been brought uh, now together because Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And now all are brought near. I want you to, to pause just a moment and, and understand the potency of what uh, Paul is describing here. We talk often and understand that Jesus saves. Jesus does save. That's true. That, that's core to who we are and we understand that there is salvation in Christ. But Jesus didn't just save. He also was the one who made the way for salvation. He, he, he made salvation possible and then we can receive it and be saved. Before Jesus, it wasn't even a possibility for the others, for the outside, for those who were the Gentiles. And now through him, a way is made and we're drawn near. And so we have the opportunity. And so this dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. And in verse 15, it says, here's how that happened. He set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. He took in his flesh the law, that division, the covenant that was with a single people, and said the rules and regulations, the commands and the regulations that are there, I'm taking in me, those were always just a representation of your individual failure because the more you pursued the commands and the regulations, the more you realized how your failure was upon you. And he took that in his flesh and said, you couldn't accomplish it, but I'm gonna accomplish it in you. It wasn't even available to you, but now I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make his law, the law on your heart available to you. And in this, he made two people one in his flesh. And what did he do with that law? What did he do with that law? He took it in his flesh. To what end? He took it in his flesh, and in verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The law literally was destroyed as a barrier from, that, that, that kept people from God through the cross. That when Jesus was crucified, he, he, he took the law in himself and said, no longer is God's presence, promise, and provision available for some. It's now available for all. There's nothing left to divide us. Now we're entirely one and at peace so as to all know the nearness of God's love to us. 
if we would just respond to receive it. There is hope there. It continues on and says in verse 15, uh, excuse me, in verse 17, he came and preached peace to those who are far away, peace to those who are near. And then hear this, for through him, through Jesus, we, have, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Let me rephrase that. Everyone has access to the Father by the Spirit through Jesus. This is core essential gospel doctrine. We all, everyone, none excluded, you, me, and everyone you will ever meet has access to the Father by the Spirit through Jesus. And this is the good news It's good news for the people of Ephesus, but it's also good news for us because that means hope is available to everyone. Those who were once without hope now have hope. Those that have received hope are to tell others of the hope we have in Jesus so that all could experience it. Hope is powerful. And we need to access that power today. Our community needs to know the power of the hope we have in Jesus. Hope is powerful. The, the Lancet Psychiatric Group uh, produced a study. That they, they have a psychiatric journal, one of the most uh, well-read and respected psychiatric journals in the world. They, they produced a study of COVID-19 Uh, in relationships to to psychiatric mental health uh, disorders. And and here's what they were looking at. They were wondering, is there correlation to the potency of COVID-19? And so now notice that they didn't draw any causation determinations. They just drew the correlation. And they studied nearly 1.5 million COVID-19 cases And out of those 1.5 million, there were 44,000 diagnosed, active in therapy, uh, psychiatric mental health disorders. And and here's what they found. They they found, uh, particularly with a high level uh, of, of those disorders being anxiety and depression, those that struggle with despair and struggle with with hopelessness, they found that you were twice as likely to be hospitalized for COVID-19 and twice as likely to die from COVID-19. They didn't say why. They didn't study all of the, or or, or even kind of lay a, a, a claim on the why, but they said this is factual data that we need to really struggle with. And you know what? I, I believe that whenever we lack hope, we are so much more willing to give in. Anecdotally, I've, I've, I've known uh, family members, loved ones, uh, parishioners in the church who've been diagnosed with, uh, with uh, a horrific Uh, disease, who have uh, seen that diagnosis and immediately said, I'm ready to fight. I'm going all in. We don't kick field goals and and we're going to beat this. And you know, sure enough, more times than not, their life is either prolonged far beyond any medical expertise or 
they beat it back altogether and find remission or healing. And then I think about those that, that, that I've known over the course of my life and my ministry who receive a diagnosis. And as soon as they receive that diagnosis, they, they, they are confronted by it. They enter into despair. They, they begin to be hopeless. And in their hopelessness, they surrender to inevitability. And their life is either shortened, even a swifter death than medically diagnosed, or, or they just wither away physically because of the spiritual matter at play. I think about, I think about uh, our brother in the church, Logan Magnus, who's a teenager who, who in his early teens was diagnosed with leukemia. And I think, I think about what took place in the household whenever I went to pray with them right after the diagnosis happened. And, and you could see the whole family reacting and responding differently. Everybody, like as you would assume, everybody's kind of moving at their own pace, struggling with what's going on. One member of the family is, 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 is striving to become like an oncologist in 24 hours, right? Like wanting to learn everything about the disease, wanting to learn everything about the treatment, trying to, and, and, and functioning as though that's going to be the best path to serve their son. And then, and then another in the family is, is, just, is just emotionally torn, knowing that their loved one is going to go through so much struggle and pain and trial. And then there's Logan. I never forget, even, even immediately after his diagnosis, most would describe Logan as courageous because he just, he just faced it and said, I'm okay. This is okay. And I'm going to fight and there will be a victory. And, and while most described it as courageous, I would describe it as hopeful. He was so filled with hope that he could not lose. He understood who he was in relationship to Jesus, and that, that was a gift that he had. And you know what? He, the hope that filled him helped him to beat it back, and now he's in remission. I'm not surprised by that. Hope is powerful, and it's available for each and every one of us. And what do you do when you have hope? Recently, there's, there's a, a, a member of the church whose who's Mimi is in a hospice care situation and, and life is now short and tender and, and loved ones, by God's grace, were able to come in one by one and be with her in that, in that end of life time. And, and you know what she did as one Mimi, as one who was filled with hope? Each and every family member that came in, she ministered to them. And she named for them her peace and her hope. As though she knew, or because she knew, that if she would proclaim hope, the hope she had to others, they could receive it as well. You know, that's, that's what we're to be about as the church. That, that's our role to play in this. We, the church, have Hope to bear to the world, and the world needs hope. All around us, there's temptation to despair, if not encouragement to despair, and yet we are filled with, with life here and now and eternal that calls us to hope in Jesus Christ. 
There are no longer any that are far off, any that are other, or any that are excluded. Every single person in this world has access to that gift of hope. And we, the church, are sent out to proclaim it to the world so that all might bask in the glory of his goodness and his grace. That hope is powerful. It's yours. And it's for the world. Let's bear it to the world in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, what, what, what a potent truth you have for us in Scripture this day that, that we can each tap into uh, this foundational uh, uh, reality that we each have once been without hope. And now in you we have hope. So I ask God that you would, you would use us as your servants, that we would be selfless in our offering of hope to the world, that others would know who you are and whose you are. Lord, I pray that you would move in us, that you would provide hope to the depths of our being so that in every instance where we are, where we are tempted to despair, that we would see you and know you as our heavenly Father, and we would draw close to you as you have drawn close to us. We rest in your hope as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.